It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated. And welcome to everyone today. Glad you are here with us. As we, today we're going to be finishing up Mark chapter 14. We'll be doing a lesson today and then also this evening to wrap up chapter 14. What do you do when you face a crisis? When the problems of life seem to overwhelm you? When you don't know where to turn? I'm here to tell you when you face a crisis the best step to take is to depend on Jesus. It was several years ago for a Super Bowl commercial that a car manufacturer had a somewhat unique commercial. The commercial started off with this young man. He, he's sitting at a cafe table, and he looks out, and he sees that they are putting up a, a billboard sign, and it's about a car. It's his dream car. The car that he's always wanted to have. He looks at that car longingly, wishing to be the owner. Then suddenly, pops an actor there, sitting across from the table from him. The actor is Willem DeVoe. And he says to the young man, hey kid, you can have it all. You can have it all. All you got to do is take this gold pen and sign the contract, and I'll be sure to make your dreams come true. The young man looks at the contract. He looks outside, and now they've got the, the billboard just about finished, and they've got the price of the car. And the car is not as much as what he feared. He looked at that price. He turns and looks at the devil. He says, thanks, but uh, I've got this. I can do it myself. You know, how many times, how many times do we face temptations? How many times do we face problems? We handle it the very same way. Oh, I can do it. I've got it. Don't worry. They say to themselves, I've got this. Expecting the tempter to just disappear in a cloud of smoke. But what really happens when we approach life with that kind of I can do this on my own attitude? What really happens? Let's look at Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you, not just some, not one or two, but all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. It's going to happen in just a few hours from now. You're going to stumble, for it is written. And Jesus quotes a passage from Zechariah. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What's going to happen to the group? When the angry mob comes out to arrest Jesus, what's going to happen to the group? Well, they're going to uh, run away. Except for Peter, who follows at a distance, and John. They're going to run away. They're going to stumble. 
They're going to hide. Verse 28. But after I have been raised, Jesus holds out hope here. There's grace. After I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. We'll meet once again up in Galilee. But Peter, you got to love Peter. He always got something to say. Peter said to him, Well, even if all are made to stumble, I can't speak for these rest of these guys. I can't speak for them. Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. <laughs> what, is Jesus, what is Peter saying to Jesus? He's saying, you know, even though all the rest are scandalized, <clears throat> I will not be in the least bit offended. I will stick by you no matter what. In other words... He says to Jesus, I've got this. I can handle it. I've got it. Verse 30. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that today, even this night, in fact, it's going to happen in just a few hours, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. You're not just going to be scandalized, Peter. Uh, Peter, you're not just going to run away. You're going to deny me three times. But Peter, what does Peter do? Does he back down and say, oh Lord, I, I'm so sorry. Help me, help my unbelief. Uh, 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 help me, uh, Lord, uh, to, to get over this. Does he say something like that? Oh no. If I have to die with you, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And don't miss the end of verse 31. And they all, all of them, said likewise. The other ten, they agree. Yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter's speaking for us now. We, Lord, we're not going to back away. We're not going to leave you. We, what? We've got this. They all said, I've got this. But Peter, Peter says it with passion. How ironic that just a few hours later, in verse 71, Peter uses the same passion to swear that he never knew Jesus. You see, pride, pride goes before fall. So when you face a crisis, when things are bad, when you don't know what to do, when you're at your wit's end, don't depend on your own strength. Oh, please don't. What do you got to do? Don't boast about how you got this. Don't brag about your own ability. Don't rely on your own willpower because it will fail you every single time, just like it did Peter and all of Jesus' disciples. Of all people, the apostles should have remained loyal. Remember there in John 6? In John 6, we've got the, the masses, the crowds, slowly walking away from Jesus. Jesus has been hitting them with some pretty tough teaching and they just kind of, they can't, they can't handle it. They walk away. 
Jesus says in verse 66, are you going to leave too? He, he looks at his apostles, those 12 men. He says, are you going to leave too? Are you going to be like them? And Peter, Peter speaks up. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. At that point, you've got to be proud of Peter. Peter stands up and says, oh Lord, we're going to be with you. You know, of all those people, anybody should have remained loyal to Jesus. It was his own disciples. They had spent about three years with Jesus. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the teaching. And especially Peter should have remained loyal. But they all failed Jesus. When the crisis came, when the angry mob showed up, led by one of their own, Judas, their own willpower, their own bragging words, hey, we'll never leave you, Lord, their own willpower was not enough to keep them from shamefully turning away from Jesus. You see, not even the best of us can remain faithful in our own strength. No, we can't. We need something more. You know, since, 18, since the 1870s, over 700 deaths have occurred in the Grand Canyon. Now, the Grand Canyon is a, it's a, it's a, just a marvelous uh, creation by God. It's 277 miles long, up to 18 miles wide, and over a mile deep in some places. And on top of that, you know, you got the size of it, you got the extreme temperatures can, you know, quickly lead to heat stroke and, de and dehydration. And, and so no one is really surprised that people die in and around the Grand Canyon. What is surprising is that many people die through their own carelessness. Several people have gone over the edge. Why? Because they ignored posted warnings and walked out to dangerous cliffs. And of those over 700 deaths, so many of them have occurred in the last 20 years. Why the last 20 years? This. Camera phones. People want to get the money shot. Hey, 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 I, I, here, I'll get out there and you take the picture and I'm going to get right on the edge and, and, and I'm going to, you know, you get the picture of me and... And they die. Are there warnings? Oh, yeah. There are signs all over the place posting those warnings. But they don't listen. They don't listen. How many of us do the same thing? Those deaths were not only tragic, they are also completely avoidable. If only people didn't have that attitude, I can get close to the edge without failing. How many of us approach a sin with the same attitude? An attitude of self-confidence that makes us think that we can get really close without crossing the line. 
How close can I get? How, how, many, how many things can I do before I actually get into sin? How close can I get? And we are fooling ourselves when we take that attitude because we will fail. We avoid God's warning signs and, and then we edge right up to disaster. And we're confident that we, you know, unlike other people, we, unlike other people, we can avoid the crash. A series of uh, experiments were conducted at Northwestern University at the uh, Kellogg School of Management. Here's what the test was all about. They placed college students in tempting situations, tempting them to smoke or binge drink or, or crash out on a, a lot of junk food or, or just forgo studying for tests. And they wanted to see how people would react to the temptation. Here's what the research found out. They found out that so many people have what we might call a restraint bias. Well, we look at that temptation and we say, you know, that's not too bad. You know, I can handle that. You know, I can touch it and I can handle it and I can put it up against me. And it's okay. I can do it because I've got restraint. I can handle it. In other words, we tend to overestimate how much self-control we actually have against temptation when we're not in the heat of the moment. But guess what? When the heat of the moment arrives. Our restraint bias causes us to think that we can handle more temptation than we actually can. Those who are most confident about their self-control are the ones most likely to give in to temptation. It caused the researchers to come up with a conclusion. And I'm not surprised because their conclusion comes straight out of the Bible. Here's what they said. The key is simply to avoid any situations where vices and other weaknesses thrive, and most importantly, for individuals to keep a humble view of their willpower. They could have skipped all the research and just read their Bible, because it's there. God's Word says, don't be overconfident. Don't depend on your own willpower to keep you safe from failing, from falling. Don't depend on your own strength. Instead, when you face a crisis, depend on the Lord always. Recognize your own vulnerability and rely on God. Watch out for the pitfalls because they will come. And pray. Pray like crazy. That's what Jesus himself did. He had a vastly different attitude than his disciples as he approached the cross and the temptation to resist the Father's will. Verse 32. Then they came to a place. It's on the Mount of Olives. Very well known. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. That word means olive press. It means to crush olives. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So he takes his apostles, his disciples, then he separates three of them. 
He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be what? Troubled. We're going to come back to that word, troubled. And deeply, what? Distress. Then he said to them, to Peter, James, and John, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Stay here and watch. That word trouble is taking place here in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a very fitting place for what Jesus is experiencing here. He is experiencing a crisis. This is a big moment in His ministry. The Greek word for trouble is the strongest of the three Greek words used in the New Testament for depression and problems. Jesus does not go into the coming crisis with a self-confident bravado as one might expect of the Son of God. You know, we like to paint that, that S for Superman on his chest. But remember, He is 100% divine and He's 100% human. He realizes His need for His Father. Instead, he enters this great hour of trial with dreadful sorrow and anxiety, fully dependent on what? Upon his heavenly Father to see him through. Verse 35, And he went a little further and fell on the ground. I mean, the weight, this Gethsemane, it's crushing him. It's pressing on him. He's troubled. He is distressed. He fell to the ground. And prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba. In just a moment, I want to come back to that word Abba. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will. It's not my will, but what you will. That's what we're going to do. What's the cup? this cup that he mentions. The cup was the cup of God's wrath against sin. Isaiah chapter 51. Which Jesus was getting ready to bear on our behalf. It wasn't uh, uh, his sins, it was our sins that he was taken to the cross. He was not dying for his own sins, he was dying for your sins and mine. The prospect of experiencing His Father's anger against our sin was almost more than He could bear. Because to bear up to these sins, His tie with the Father would have to be broken for the first time ever. For all eternity past, Jesus had experienced intimate fellowship with a loving, heavenly Father. That's all He had ever known. And now, for the very first time, Jesus was about to be alienated from that love, from that connection. Because God the Father could not be in contact with those sins that Jesus was about to bear on the cross. 
For the first time, Jesus was going to experience a powerful, angry Father who was going to pour out His cup of wrath because of our sins. Here's my opinion. And this is just my opinion. Jesus was not distressed about the physical suffering He was about to experience. Now, yes, the physical suffering was unbelievable. It's beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. I believe the biggest burden that he was carrying, he was distressed because he couldn't stand such alienation from his heavenly Father, even for a few hours. It was more than he could even comprehend. Jesus won the battle with temptation, not through a self-confident bravado which says, I've got this, oh no. He wins the battle because he was turning everything over to the Father. Did you notice that he said, Abba, Father? Abba was a term that the Jewish people would never use of God. It was a term used by small children to, uh, to uh, describe their uh, physical, biological father. You know, like we might say, Daddy, you know. Well, Abba was that uh, term of endearment that small children would use for their biological father. They would cry out to their Abba, to their Daddy. Jesus is crying out to His heavenly Father making that wonderful connection, saying, Abba, Father, dear, loving Father, with me. I need you. Jesus won the battle because He leaned on the Father. We can win the battle if we lean on the Lord. I truly believe that. Jesus won the battle with temptation through a though he was going through an agonizing period of time, it was through that humble dependence upon his heavenly Father. And he urges us, his followers, to do the same. Look at what he says to Peter here in verse 37. That he came and found them what? They were sleeping. They could not even stay up. You know, this is late now. We're getting probably close to midnight. And it's late. And these guys are sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not just watch one hour? Could you not stay awake for me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing. I know you want to do it, but the flesh is weak, is weak. when he goes back and finds Peter and James and John asleep. You know, Jesus is not so much concerned about having friends in his hour of trial as he's concerned about his disciples' vulnerability. They're going to fall away. Peter's going to die him. Can I bring him back? Can I restore them? Will they listen? 
He's concerned about his disciples more than he's even concerned about his own safety. They had expressed such self-confident bravado that, that he knew that they were incredibly open to fail. So he urges them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's the same words he would say to us today. As we go through our lives and we face our temptations and our problems and, and our crises, is to watch and pray, to watch, watch God's Word, put God's Word into our life and pray that we can resist those temptations. You see, they had boldly declared that they would die for Jesus, but they couldn't even stay awake with Him for one hour. This happened not once, but twice. No, not just twice. Three times. Three times. Verse 39, again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still asleep and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The great drama is about to begin. The trial the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. But the disciples are woefully unprepared because of their complacent pride. Three times Peter had failed to watch and pray. Three times he would fall into temptation and disown Jesus. This is a warning, I believe, to all of us, especially those of us who have walked with Jesus for for several years. We cannot grow complacent and lazy in our walk with Christ, full of bravado and self-confidence. No, instead we must watch and pray lest we too fall into temptation. First, Jesus says, watch, stay awake, be alert. The devil is there. He will tempt. The temptation to sin is so subtle so devious, it can overwhelm you before you even know what hits you. It truly can. And I think the best way to illustrate it is a new way to kill a cow. Slaughterhouses know that uh, if a cow is distressed, if a cow is scared and fearful, if you poke it, if you prod it, if you yell, uh, when it dies, then it's going to have all those, uh, those uh, hormones rushing through its body, and the meat is going to be slightly not as good. One slaughterhouse who caters to producing meat that's uh, a little bit better quality, they came up with a new way to kill a cow. Instead of having cattle prods and yelling and all that, when the cow enters into the area, the cow, one cow at a time, is gently coached out from the area into a, a chute. 
and the chute is warm and it's enticing and, and, and there's salt licks along the way that the cow can enjoy and, and, and it's nice. And the cow doesn't realize that he's now, he's actually standing on a conveyor and the whole thing is moving with him and he doesn't realize it. He's happy. There's no yelling. There's no loud words. Nothing's going on. Everything is nice up until the device hits him with a surgical strike right between the eyes, and he dies. They call this machine the stairway to heaven. <laughs> you know what? The devil does the same thing. How like the tempter. He keeps us contented. He keeps us comfortable, promising us a, a stairway to heaven until he knocks us out cold right between the eyes. How many times have I heard from people trying to justify their sin, but it feels so right? Well, let me tell you, the more tranquil you feel, I believe the more in danger you are. So watch. Stay alert. Be Awake and pray like Jesus. Depend, depend on your heavenly Father. Humbly express your own weakness before your heavenly Father and plead, plead for His help. This guy right here, is, uh, his story is so amazing. Aaron Roston, as he described himself, he said, I was extremely cocky. I felt I could do it all. I didn't need anybody. He was out at uh, Blue John Canyon. He was doing some cliff climbing by himself because, once again, he doesn't need anybody. And an accident happened. His arm, as you can see, his arm got caught between two rocks and he couldn't pull it out. And he kept on pulling and pulling and nothing worked. And it was days. And he knew that he was going to die with his arm trapped between two rocks. So he did what we might think would be unbelievable. He himself cut off his arm to save his life. One of the things that Aaron has now said is, I'm no longer cocky. I no longer can say that I can do it all. I need help. You know, there are many people who walk into situations with what a self-centered cockiness that eventually gets them into a lot of trouble. Maybe that's some of you here today. Maybe you look at your life and you say, well, I know that's wrong. I know that thing over there is wrong. I know I'm involved in this and that's not good for me, but hey, I can handle it. It's not going to pull me down, but guess what? It will. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to change your attitude and to cry out for help. Even if you've already fallen hard, your Heavenly Father will hear and come running to your aid. I truly believe that. In life... In life, don't depend on your own strength. Instead, depend on the Lord. 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This morning, are you a Christian? You see this slide every time I get up to speak. It's Jesus speaking to us through these verses, telling us what to do to believe in Him, to repent of our past, to confess, to be baptized. That puts you into Christ. We've had three people do that in the last week or so. Praise be to God. But sometimes as a Christian, we get too overconfident. We think we can handle our own life and we fall into temptation. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God that will forgive us? 1 John 1, 9. This church wants to stand with you and to pray with you and be there for you. This morning, if there's anyone here that has a need to respond, we are praying that you'll do that as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Oh, do not let the world be 